This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to The Brink, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. They put the amazing in our Spider-Man, the incredible in our Hulk, and Captain America started punching Nazis before America even entered World War II. So it might seem astounding that Marvel entered bankruptcy in the late 90s, having weathered the fickleness of the comics market multiple times like a human torch burning bright. Bursting bubbles, greedy ventures, and what some might call financial villainy led owners grasping for a plan C to world comic domination and selling their heroes out like mercenaries. But it pays to be good. And after a struggle of a legal battle, some positive new blood and some daring risks, Marvel is now living up to the Excelsior motto. This is Marvel on the brink. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Jonathan. I like Marvel. I do too. I like I like comic books and superheroes and comic book movies and comic book TV shows. Hey, hey, guess what? What? I like all that stuff too. Yeah, so Ariel and I are fans. Mm-hmm. Some might call us geeks. I would call us geeks. We have called each other geeks yes. affectionately. And um, we love Marvel. I mean, we love especially mm-hmm. the most recent incarnation of Marvel. Yes. It's impossible to ignore Marvel at this point. There's a new Marvel film out practically every month. Well, not every month, but, you know, like every quarter. Yeah. Well, enough, like uh, to the point where people joke that if it's if you go to the movie theater, what are you seeing, a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie? Yeah, and you know, when Marvel movies first started coming out, I was like, mm, I don't know about this character. But now at this point, I'm like, here, let me just write you a check. Yeah, every time that Marvel <laughs> was coming out with a new film, I was thinking, can they really pull this off? I mean, starting off with Iron Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe stories— 
uh, I thought, wow, Iron Man, really? Because that's I don't think of him as a a upper tier character. I mean, um, he is if you're a comic fan, right? But, but mainstream mainstream audiences, I don't think knew very much about well, Iron Man, and then. Then you get to something like Guardians of the Galaxy, and you're like, there's no mm-hmm. way they're going to make that work. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to be fair, even though I am a self-proclaimed geek and I love Marvel, I came to comics late yeah. in my geekdom. Um, I started off with sci-fi and fantasy and kind of worked my way to superheroes. So it's been a learning curve. Yeah, I, uh, I collected a little bit when I was a kid. Uh, I'll talk mm-hmm. about one of the comics I collected in this episode. But... I was not the biggest comic book fan. I, I, I always tried to keep semi-aware of what was going on because mm-hmm. I was interested in it. I just didn't have the allowance to go out and buy every single title that was coming out. Well, and, and we'll get to it, but there was a while where Marvel was putting out so much stuff you couldn't keep up. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about how we got to this point because there it was not a guarantee that Marvel was going to become such a breakout success. Not at all. Not a, you know, a few years ago, you would have laughed if someone had said that a company would buy Marvel for $4 billion, but that in fact has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into it though, Ariel, we need to settle something. Who sure. is your favorite Marvel character? Oh, well, that would be the Hulk. The Hulk? The Hulk. Is that the secret you're always angry? Yes. Oh, that's fair. All right. I'm, so, I, you know, I'm a Hulk. I like in D&D, I play a barbarian. I'm just a bruiser sort of a girl. Gotcha. All right. That's fair. Who's yours? Taskmaster. I can see that. <laughs> Taskmaster is a uh, a villain in Marvel. He has not yet been depicted in films as far as I can tell. Taskmaster's ability is he can watch other people do stuff and then he can replicate it perfectly. So he can mm-hmm. watch, say, an Olympic diver do a perfect dive and then he can do that perfect dive. He's kind of like a visual rogue. Yeah. He's he's usually known for uh, training mercenaries. Okay. We had to get that out of our system. Yes. We had to get all of that geekery out so that we can talk about the business. Yeah. We, we need to get down to business because there's a lot to cover and I know we're going to want to cover it all. We aren't going to be able to cover it all. So, you we'll know. We'll do tangents and stuff anyway. So, let's, <laughs> let's, let's try to start off by talking about how Marvel got started because it mm-hmm. wasn't always known as Marvel. No. It was started by Martin Goodman in 1939. He had made a comic brand called Timely Comics, and Marvel Comics number one was the actual comic book. Right. This is not unusual, by the way. We think of a lot of, like, big-name comic Mm -hmm. books, like Superman or Batman, which are both DC comic books. Well, those didn't start off as Batman number one or Superman no. number one. In fact, uh, the first Batman comic was a Detective Comics issue number 27. The first Superman comic was in a spinoff called Action Comics number one. Well, and I would call you on talking about DC during a Marvel episode, but it's important to note because DC came out with superheroes before Marvel. Yeah, like two years. <laughs> yeah, but still, still, it still counts. Yeah. So who was in Marvel Comics number one? Tell everybody the superhero who appeared in that. Well, there are a few, but the most notable are Human Torch. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he was like a human android, so he wasn't... It wasn't Johnny Storm. It wasn't Johnny Storm. It was was Human Torch version 1.0. Yes, and the Submariner, a.k.a. Namor, a.k.a. anti-hero version of Aquaman, although Aquaman is sometimes an anti-hero. Yeah, he he went through a a dark phase. phase. We all went through that dark phase. It's just Aquaman (laughs) did it well after his teenage years. And something to note, right when 
Timely Comics was starting off, Stan Lee joined. So he joined at the age of 17 with the help of his uncle to become an assistant there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's he's bounced around and he's written stuff for DC as well, but he started right at the beginning. And someone else who was really important in Marvel history and comic book history Mm -hmm. is Jack Kirby. And one of his huge contributions happened just a couple of years after the founding of this company. And that was in 1941 with the first Captain America comic book. Yeah. A good old Cap. And Captain America, you might remember there's like the famous illustration of Captain America punching Hitler. Mm -hmm. And uh, they kind of recreated that. Uh, uh, in the the Captain America film, Captain mm-hmm. America, the first Avenger. Yeah. The interesting fact is we mentioned in the introduction that Marvel had their superheroes fighting Nazis before the United States had even entered into World War II. Yeah, um, Timely had some other heroes, Wizard, Miss America, Destroyer, uh, and they still occasionally show up, but they never really took off like Captain America and I guess for that matter, Namor or the Human Torch. Yeah, yeah. So not everyone would end up becoming a household name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, these days, the years between 1938 and 1956 or so, these are not hard dates, but kind of general dates. We tend to refer to that as the golden age of comics. You'll hear people talk about golden age heroes, silver age heroes, bronze age heroes, and modern age So 38 to 56, that's golden age. That's when a lot of different iconic characters debuted. Uh, With DC, you had Batman and Superman. With Marvel, you had Mm -hmm. Submariner and Captain Captain America. America. But you also saw a lot of comic books that weren't superhero comics. We often think the two are hand in hand, but in truth, there were a lot of different genres that got started, or at least that had comic book versions, like horror stories, science fiction, Mm -hmm. westerns. All of those became And in fact, a lot of those became more popular than superheroes because when America came out of the Great Depression and World War II in the early 50s, people stopped buying comic books. So it was still the golden era. Yeah. But it was it was shifting around some. Yeah. Part of the reason why comic books were doing so well even during the Great Depression or or shortly thereafter was that they were a cheap form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't as expensive as going out and buying a radio or heaven help you, a television set after World War II. Yeah, these were much less expensive, and so they were very popular. And we should also point out that the comic books at this time, they weren't necessarily just for kids. There were quite a few that were dealing with some pretty dark subject matter. And they got darker as time went on. Yeah. So as as comics evolved, they tried to reach out to a broader audience. Other notable things in Marvel's history in the early 50s is Timely Comics turned their name to Atlas Magazines. Yep. And Steve Ditko, who is also a very famous comic artist, mm-hmm. joined the Marvel team. Well, the Atlas team. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Timely slash Atlas slash Marvel decided they were going to stop making superhero books for a while and focus more on the other genres, sci-fi, Western, horror, funny animals. Yeah. To to try to recoup. They had tried to push Captain America and Namor and Human Torch, and it just wasn't quite going. Right. And so this was kind of industry-wide. It wasn't just Marvel that was backing off on superheroes. That didn't last too long, though. By the mid-50s, DC started to reintroduce some of these characters and create some new ones, including new teams and new uh, Mm -hmm. uh, associations. So that became a trend where we started seeing superheroes come back in. So it was only, you know, it was only kind of like four or five years when superheroes were sort of absent. Yeah, and that was still a part of the golden 
age. Yeah. Around that time, Atlas switched its distribution to American News Company. And now we're getting back to the business stuff, which is it's hard because, again, we just want to talk about all of the fun heroes and things like that. American News Company was the largest distributor in the U.S. And shortly after Atlas switched their comic distribution to them, they were found guilty of restraint of trade. They kind of had a monopoly on the distribution market, and they liquidated and disappeared. Yeah. So that's the danger of becoming too big. Yeah. Is that so eventually the government might say, hey, you need to, you know, break up into lots of little companies in order for this to be fair. Yeah. This would also be the mark of the transition from the golden age to the silver age of comics. And we'll talk about it right after this break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Superheroes had gone into decline for a few years, but they came back because the United States started to regulate what content could be used mm-hmm. in comic books. You've probably heard about the comic book code and this yeah. the various uh, rating systems. That was largely in response to this because the United States government was saying, we need to make sure that these youths ain't becoming <laughs> delinquents by reading your funny books. They read your funny books and the next thing you know, they all wants to hang out at the drugstore and smoke cigarettes and 
then there's a music man who comes in and tries to sell instruments. I might be mixing my metaphors. I think you are. I think you are. Let's get back on. All right. Anyway, the point is that they started to bring superheroes back as kind of a way of, they were backing off on some of the more controversial Mm -hmm. topics, right? They were trying to create more family-friendly type content. This would also be the era where we started seeing more zany comic books. If you, I don't remember it so much from the Marvel side, but on the DC side, you definitely saw this. This is when like, Characters like the Joker or the Penguin started being much more cartoonish and less violent. Uh, During the Silver Age, uh, in 1961, you did get some zany because Marvel came out with its What If series. Oh, yes, which I I love. What If was where they would ask these hypothetical questions like, what if Dr. Doom had turned into a good guy? Yeah, uh, it's the same year that they actually went from Atlas magazines specifically to Marvel Comics. Mm. So now Marvel Comics were all branded as Marvel Comics. And they added a bunch of characters. Most successfully, they started the Fantastic Four, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby did. And they started a new sort of comic writing. Now these superheroes were interacting with each other in a more like realistic way and dealing with real world problems. And they also inhabited this shared universe. Right. So now it was no longer these individual story arcs where characters Mm -hmm. just kind of inhabited their own version of the world. Now they had a shared version. Yes. Which was beneficial in the sense that you could boost different title sales by having different characters show up almost Mm -hmm. like a cameo. But it would also add the problem of the more complex this got, the harder it was to maintain continuity across the entire universe. Yeah, and, you know, unsurprisingly, the Silver Age Marvel heroes were Fantastic Four, Hulk, Thor, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers, which they did to compete specifically with Justice League, which had come out in 1960, Mm -hmm. Daredevil, and then the What If comic, the original bullpen, where Stan Lee and all of them were the Fantastic Four. So this is an era where a lot of the characters we often associate with comic book superheroes today, this is the era they first arrived. And if you look at Marvel movies nowadays and you go, well, why in the world do they make an Ant-Man movie? Because he was part of their Silver Age. He's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, Then in 1968, we get a change of ownership. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, Goodman would sell his company Actually, the parent company that owned Marvel Comics, because it was kind of an umbrella company, a holding company almost, to a company called the Perfect Film and Chemical Corporation. Yeah. Okay. The PFCC. Yes. So the interesting thing here was not just that it was a, a acquisition, mm-hmm. but that Goodman himself went along with it. It wasn't like Goodman sold it and then walked away. Yeah, and, you know, PFCC seemed to be very interested in Marvel's success, unlike some of the companies we talk about where they acquire a company and then don't really pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, like, MySpace or something. Sure. They they were invested. So they also bought Curtis Circulation in 1969 to help use them to distribute the Marvel comics they had bought. This is really interesting to me, too, because throughout the history of Marvel, you will see eras where... The company would own its own distribution and then following eras where they would abandon that and go and work with an independent distributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, 1970, Marvel would say goodbye to one of its instrumental creators. Yes, Jack Kirby. He goes over to DC. The traitor. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover. That's true. <laughs> and uh, this would be about where we see the transition between Silver Age and the Bronze Age. So in the Bronze Age, you started to get 
a change in tone. And this, there's no like hard line here. There's not like an event that no. you could point to. A lot of a lot of Marvel's history doesn't have hard lines. It was yeah. kind of very fluid. Right. So in this case, we started seeing sort of a return to what the kind of storylines you saw in the Golden Age, but amped up. Like you started seeing comic books deal with some very serious and very dark themes mm-hmm. in this era. This is when we start seeing more of the types of stuff that would feed into even the the 90s and yeah. early 2000s. I, I think of like Frank Miller's run with Daredevil that yeah. would come in the Bronze yeah. Age. Oh, that's such a good one. It is a really good run. It's so good. I'm not a huge Frank Miller fan, but that Daredevil run was really good. When I when I was watching the, the Netflix Daredevil series, I'm like, oh, I see. Oh, yeah. No, Especially it, season two there. It owes a ton yeah. to the Frank Miller run. Yeah. Um, in 1971... The U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare commissioned Stan Lee to do a comic story regarding drug abuse, which goes falls into this darker era. Mm-hmm. And Stan Lee wrote a three-part Spider-Man series mm-hmm. about it, kind of warning against it. So it was a darker subject, but a positive message. Right. And a positive message for kids who might read it as well, or teenagers who relate to Spider-Man. But the Comics Code Authority didn't approve it. They right. said, you can't put this out because it talks about drugs, yeah. period. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the message is. The content itself was objectionable. So what did they do? Well, they published it anyhow. Oh! You know, and it was so popular that the CCA changed their rules that same year. Yeah. So I guess it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I guess. Sometimes. In 1972, Goodman would finally step down. He he retired. And uh, he handed the reins over to someone who had started when he was just 17 years old as an assistant. Excelsior, uh, Stanley. Yes. And then immediately the comic books went into a slump. This was not Stanley's fault, by the way. No, not at all. So Marvel diversified to expand their comic line, and they kind of gave us superheroes in the other genres. So, like, they gave us superheroes in the fantasy genre, like Red Sonja and Conan the Barbarian, or in funny animals like Howard the Duck. Now— I mentioned earlier that as a kid, I collected certain comic books. Mm-hmm. Howard the Duck was one of the comic books I collected. I had the first 20 issues of Howard the Duck. You know, people are hit and miss on him, but I like him. In the comics, he was a very interesting character, mm-hmm. um, and he would often end up teaming up with someone like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's history is often Spider-Man teaming up with a even more sarcastic, crazy character. Sometimes yeah. it's Howard the Duck. Sometimes it's Deadpool. Sometimes it's Thor as a frog. Sometimes oh. it's Wolverine who just doesn't put <laughs> up with that And they switch stuff. bodies. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, they also this year lowered their comic prices and kind of started undercutting DC and taking DC's market share because people could buy Marvel comics cheaper. Yeah. This is not necessarily a long-term sustainable no, no. strategy, by the way. But it's a good way to get fans. All right, so then we get to 1973 when PFCC was, uh, it went under its own identity change. Yes. Became Cadence Industries. And the magazine management company officially was renamed the Marvel Comics Group. So just just to clarify, because we didn't really talk about it earlier, magazine management company was the overhead company of Marvel Comics. So you had magazine management company as the parent company and then Marvel Comics under it. And now the entire group is Marvel Comics Group. Now, this is also when we started seeing a shift in consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. So up to this point, the place where you would typically buy a comic book would be a newsstand. 
you would go to a newsstand, you buy yourself, you know, your whichever titles you liked, and you would go off on your merry little way. But by the mid-70s, newsstand sales were in decline. Mm -hmm. This could have led to a complete collapse of the comic book industry, but the industry as a whole was able to adapt to this by concentrating more on specialty stores, comic book stores, because those were not really a thing until the mid-70s. It wasn't until you started seeing people who had grown up with comic books investing to create stores specifically to cater to that audience. That's when you started seeing comic book stores start. And without that, the industry might not have made it. So this was like almost like a mini brink moment where Mm -hmm. if the industry had not been able to adapt – it would have gone into extinction or at least gone into hibernation for a really long time. But, you know, the the, the comic industry, they're, they're like the underdogs they write about. They're scrappy. They just yeah. keep fighting. We have more to say about Marvel, but first let's take a quick break. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. In 1978, Jim Shooter became the editor-in-chief of Marvel. And Jim Shooter, he was kind of a controversial editor-in-chief. He did some really good things. Mm -hmm. Like, he introduced creator royalties and a subsidiary of Marvel Epic Comics, I believe, where the creators of the comics could own the properties they were creating. Yeah. And then he also made a company-wide crossover, Secret Wars. Yes, this was one of those things where when I heard about Secret Wars, I would have to ask my friends who were more avid comic book collectors to explain what mm-hmm. happened. That tends to happen whenever there'd be any of these huge multi-title arcs or mm-hmm. or whatever, like the various crises and Secret yeah. Wars and things, where it, it usually is an attempt to reset everything so that the continuity makes sense again. Yeah. Because one of the problems with having all these individual titles is that things that develop in one title might not be reflected in other titles because mm-hmm. you have different teams working on them. Yeah. But, you know, Jim Shooter, despite all those good things. Yeah, he... So, let me talk about this for a second. So <laughs> I'm going to let you talk about this. In this era, there had been kind of a revolving door for the editor-in-chief of Marvel. Uh, and the... The reason for that was largely because the artists or writers who would become editor-in-chief would find that it was unmanageable. There were so many different titles that were being published at the time, Mm -hmm. each of which had its own deadline. And they had deadlines for completing art, completing the the writing, uh, publishing it, getting it distributed. And it was becoming unmanageable. And there were a lot of of teams that were slipping on their deadlines. They were missing them. Yeah, so... so Shooter becomes the editor-in-chief, and he lays down the law. He starts exercising editorial control. He starts to 
and the minds of some writers and artists interfere with their work. But on the flip side, he starts making sure that those titles are hitting those deadlines. Mm -hmm. So he starts turning things around and getting the company back on track. But he is, his style and uh, his hands-on approach was something that really rubbed the creative types the wrong way. Yeah. So it was a a double-edged sword. On the one hand, the business side is getting attended to. On the other hand, the writers and artists are getting more and more irritated and frustrated mm-hmm. and angry about how things are going. So yeah. uh, it was it was definitely, I think you put it best, saying it's a, he was a controversial leader. Yeah, and also around this time, we're, we're getting up to a point where Marvel doesn't just go through editors-in-chief, but they're going to start changing hands a lot. But before they do, Shooter buys an animation studio, the one that used to make Pink Panther— and they rename it Marvel Productions, and they start making animated cartoons. Mm-hmm. Like Spider-Man. And his amazing friends. Yep. And in 84, they had the opportunity to do something pretty amazing. I kind of wonder what how things would have turned out if they had done this. They had the chance to buy out their old nemesis, DC. Yeah, but why didn't they? Well, they figured that... DC characters just weren't as good as Marvel characters. That's why DC was struggling, and that's why Warner Brothers was trying to sell them off to Marvel. But they were wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, it turns out, like, I think for your average person, if you ask them to name comic book characters, if Batman or Superman isn't, or Wonder Woman, if those are not in, like, the first four Mm -hmm. or five names that they say, that's... Odd. I mean, they are the first ones that I think of. Yeah. Superman was like the first. I'm a I'm a huge Marvel fan, and I think of Superman and Batman yeah. first. <laughs> like yeah. Marvel. I like the Marvel stories more, but the characters don't stick in your mind the way like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman do. Yeah. Uh, typically, I, I say that now. I also acknowledge at the box office they can do no wrong, but <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. So we've hit the Golden Age, Silver Age, and the Bronze Age. What age is next? The Modern Age. That's the age we're in now. So that that starts around the mid '80s. Generally, this is where we start getting to more psychologically complex storylines and characters. You get into a lot of storylines that involve anti-heroes, so heroes mm-hmm. who are not always behaving like super good guys. Wolverine is a great example. Wolverine is kind of an anti-hero. He's, yeah. he's more on the heroic side of anti-hero, but then you have like Elektra, who's maybe more on the shady side of anti-hero. Deadpool's an anti-hero. Deadpool's definitely an anti-hero. <laughs> Deadpool's a special case all on his own because yes. he can break the fourth wall. Yes. Um, Although they might in, change that. Yeah, I was just about to say, until recently. <laughs> uh, but we don't need, that's a lot. That's a discussion we're telling a different show. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> so we started seeing that by the end of 1985, the company was hitting revenues of $100 million a year. And the interesting thing to me is that not all of that was coming from comic book sales. Mm -hmm. They were making a significant amount of their revenue through licensing their characters, either to toy companies to produce toys or lunchboxes or, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So video games, that would become a thing, not so much in 1985, but a few years later. So that would become an increasingly important part of their revenue. Yeah. In in 1986, Marvel Entertainment Group sold to New World Entertainment for $46 million. Yep. And um, they mainly wanted to get the animation studio and the rights to all those characters. Yeah. And then we get the release of a film that is a rift between your beloved hosts. Yes. Howard. I'm not going to sing it, The Duck, because I don't (laughs) want royalties. But yeah, Howard the Duck released 
It did not go over well. It it's a, it's not a good movie, Ariel. It's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie. Ariel loves this movie, and I do not. When Howard the Duck came out in Guardians of the Galaxy. In the, okay, I did like that. I, I, was, I, I want a new Howard the Duck movie now. I, I'm just glad that they avoided having to get like the music sting from the Howard the Duck yeah. film and play it in the background. Yeah. There were other Marvel movies that people wanted to produce, but they cost too much to make. So yeah. they just stayed in this production limbo. Yeah, yeah. It just never got out of uh, the development phase. Now, Howard the Duck tanked, but mm-hmm. the failure wasn't necessarily an omen. However, the following 10 years would lead to the event that would almost put Marvel out of business. So we're now about to get into the brink. But in a surprise plot twist, we're going to cover that in part two of Marvel on the brink. Don't you just hate when you're left with a surprise cliffhanger? Look, if Marvel can have 22 movies in their first arc, I think we can have it to be continued. All right. Well, tune in next week for another exciting installment of Marvel on the brink. And if you want to get any of your suggestions to us, Well, you can send us a little email. That's at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. And you can also check out our website at www.thebrinkpodcast.show. And until then, I am Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. We'll see you next week. Excelsior! The Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.